This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. Welcome to the D&D World. Meet you by the art room door In a circle on the hallway floor I made up a new map last night It's got a dragon and a wizard fight So lately my kids have been watching this show on Netflix called The Hollow which it has so much D&D influence in it, it, it It's... It's essentially um, video game influence, but you know it's hard to separate those two things. Uh, there's there's certainly video game uh, there's D and D influence in video games, and so it's it's just a a, a length of uh, whatever. It's six degrees of Kevin Bacon, except it's six degrees of Dungeons and Dragons, right? It's it's how how far removed is this from Dungeons and Dragons before you feel the influence on it? Um, uh, I remember reading a long time ago, uh, someone talking about the overreaching influence of Dungeons and Dragons, and it was based on the fact that some young person in their family was playing a Barbie video game that had experience points and levels and essentially feet trees. Um, so it's just it's just interesting to see um, how widespread the influence of something like D&D is. Well, especially now, since D&D is the in thing that everyone's talking about in all the TV shows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and and even in the course of, like, The Big Bang Theory, right? The Big Bang Theory's very early episodes that mentioned D&D was, like, just some throwaway gag. Uh, it was just like, oh, well, yeah, they, they these guys are so nerdy, they play D&D. And it would literally be like, someone would mention Dungeons & Dragons, and there would be laugh track, like, we're going to play Dungeons and Dragons. Ha ha ha, isn't that ridiculous? And, like, now, there was, like, big giant advertisements. Tune in for the huge D&D episode that is going to be on Big Bang Theory. D&D is part of our advertisement because we know you'll watch because it says D&D on it. That's insane. Like, just the course of that show, it's changed so much. What, 20 years ago, they had it in the X-Files when they had the three gunmen doing it when you thought they were playing poker, and it turned out they were playing Dungeons & Dragons. The guy took a $50 bet from everybody that he could roll a natural 20. <laughs> <laughs> but the difference to me is the fact that they're like, now it's like, tune in for D&D. <laughs> but this isn't the... I'm going to try to do the crispy thing that crispy always does. I'm not, I don't <laughs> usually do this part. Um, so this is... The, not the, wait, hold on, how does he say it? Okay, so this isn't the uh, D&D's overarching reach in other media podcast. It's the Save or Die podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Crispy is not here today, but I am Carl, and today I am a level one Rakasta that hates Mondays but loves lasagna. <laughs> and I am Courtney. I'm an over-enthusiastic level one fighter, and I'm ready to roll. Hi, I'm Glenn from Welcome to Mystara. I'll be a level one immortal. Well, for the super stats from, like, the Wrath of the Immortals, page 76. <laughs> what, it's a legitimate class. Fine, I'll be the cleric. <laughs> well, yes, today we are being joined by Glenn Welch from Welcome to Mystara. Uh, hi, Glenn. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, anytime. I'm glad to be here. 
Glenn, the reason we reached out to you is because famously for uh, the uh, eight plus years this show has existed, none of the hosts uh, uh, of the varied hosts that we have had have been really um, big Mastara buffs. You know, none of us have really uh, had the history and played in that world and, and done that campaign. In fact, most of the people who have been on this show made our own campaign worlds. Um, so what I would like to get out of this, and we're going to do a few of these where we reach out to people who really know the Mistara setting is one for our listeners to get a really good feeling of kind of the innate setting of basic original Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and for us as hosts to kind of learn more about it. So to start us off, can you give us, uh, your quick elevator pitch of Mistara? Sure thing. Mistara is... Well, all the D&D settings have one specific focus. Mastara's focus is on exploration and world building, where Ravenloft is gothic horror, uh, Birthright would be high-level politics, and um, Spelljammer is D&D in space. Mastara has a lot of uh, nations that are left unexplored. The inside of the nation is not civilized, so players can go into those nations and uh, carve out their own domains does have a lot of the regular dungeon crawl and stuff like that, but this is the setting that gave us the Isle of Dread, where you go to a new land that nobody's ever set foot on, at least from where you are, and then you go out and explore it, and you make your own campaign out of that. So would you say that Mastara's sort of a, a campaign setting that's designed for Dungeons & Dragons play as opposed for narrative uh, cogn- cognitive- cognitiveness? It really depends on the what part of Mastara you're using. Uh, the setting was created kind of in reverse from how they normally did it, so you have a lot of different settings that are mostly based on historical worlds. And if you want to play in, like, Thyatis, which is the Roman... Uh, very obviously Roman uh, uh, nation, you can play you know, Caligula, Iclodius, Gladiator there. But if you go to, say, um, Ethengar, which is the Mongolian one, uh, then you, can, you have a lot more room to play with whatever style you want. You can pick a different country, and they would all have a different play style. So let's uh, kind of do a quick overview of, I mean, I know there's quite a few of them, uh, but what what are the nations that make up Mastara? Um, see if I can do this in order. Uh, <laughs> well, don't worry about that. The first one. <laughs> now you're showing off. Now you're like me with uh, Hobbit dwarves. <laughs> there's a little over a dozen, and the guys over at Mastara Reborn will uh, laugh at me if I can't get them all uh, because, well... Mastara fans are a little bit uh, in-depth with their knowledge. So going through them as best I can, you have Karamikos, which is based heavily on uh, Serbia, Slavs, Romania. Yalarum, which is the Arabic nation. Uh, then you go to Glantry, which is like a fantasy Yugoslavia. You've got That's the most famous one because you've got ten magical princes all crammed in one territory and they hate each other. And that one has Germans, mm. Dutch, Scotch, French, Spanish, Mongolians, uh, good elves, fantasy uh, humans, 
um, you know, like the Borgia Italian. They're all crammed into one nation, and they're all these merch. They're all these wizard princes, and they're doing research. And the only people they hate more than each other is everyone else. Um, then you have the Irindi, which are the uh, they're the Polynesian-based ones. You've got an elf kingdom, a dwarf kingdom, and a halfling king or a halfling uh, nation. They call themselves the Hen. Uh, you've got three nations, which are obviously based on the Vikings. Uh, they're all thrown into one book. You have the Minrathad Guilds, which is a fantasy war, a fantasy nation, which is uh, is like all the races have their own guild, and they're this big merchant thing, and they're kind of cutthroat. And you have the Derekin, which is another kind of fantasy nation. Again, uh, they're uh, merchant based. And then uh, you have the Broken Lands, which is where all the bad orcs and uh, goblins live. Ethengar is the uh, Mongolian. You have Thyatis, which is a combination of ancient Rome and the Byzantines. Alphatia is a far too... It's another continent uh, nearby, and it's kind of some blue skin or copper skin, depending on uh, their their breed. But they're like a, there's a highly magical empire. Uh, and they're the, the, the rivals to Thyatis. Um, then you have uh, the Etrugan, which was kind of a halfway written book about uh, some people based on the American Indians, which uh, the guy specifically said that they gave him an impossible deadline, so he just kind of rushed the book out, and it looks terrible. And then you've got the Shadow Elves, which is the Mastaro replacement for the Drow, which are these underground elves that want to get out, but rather than being evil, they're really naive instead, because they don't know what exactly what they're getting into. And... Um, You've got the city of Serene, which is this flying gnomish city that goes overhead, which was added in a creature crucible. You've got a fairy kingdom that uh, was sadly not very largely developed. You got an oh, you have a uh, undersea kingdom, and these are all in the creature crucibles, which adds even mo- more creatures to play. And uh, that would be all the core nations. I have a question. Um, what is Mastar's connection to Blackmore? Do you want the official, or do you want the behind the scenes? I want behind the scenes for sure. <laughs> you even have to ask. Okay, behind, for, we'll start off with behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, Gary Gygax was fighting in TSR with all their famous internal politics, and he needed allies. And he went to Dave Arneson, who he had burned previously, and begged him to come back. And he says, if you come back, I will let you write your Blackmore. We will put it in Mastara's past, and you will have uh, full uh, control over your Blackmore. And he, Dave did come back, and he wrote three of the five books, and then he realized that he was going to get, Gary was about to get forced out, and he was going to go with it. So he quit after the third book. They finished the fourth book, and, we, and the fifth book is kind of mythological. Now, how they tied it into the past is Blackmore was Mistara 3,000 years before present times, or probably more. I think it's about 3,000, though. And Blackmore was this kingdom that was under siege. It had enemies from every single side. Uh, and it reached out to this city that just appeared overnight, which was the crashed, a crashed spaceship called the Beagle. And skip forward a thousand years, Mastara and the Beagle, or Blackmore and the Beagle, rather, have become this super high-tech uh, society. And they're combining magic and super high tech, and they never really show this. They they only show the the adventure from a thousand years before, but Blackmore explodes, and that's where it sets Mastara into motion because it rotates or the explosion shifts the uh, the orbit of the planet, and then the lands defrost, and that's where you get the known world. Hmm. Okay, so it was sort of retrofitted. 
Very much so. Interesting. So I I had kind of assumed that the reason there was a connection is because my understanding of BX is that it is a a legal continuation of OD and D essentially. Um, but uh, uh, what what kind of um, timeline is this? What what year are we talking when they started retrofitting Mistara to or the known world to um, uh, uh, Blackmore? Uh, they put. Well, let me think. Uh, Arne, or Dave came on right after, right in the middle of all of the uh, gazetteers. So that was eighty-seven, eighty-nine, and uh, they put it, I think, two to three thousand years before the current setting. It's one thousand years after the founding of Thyatis, and uh, Blackmore was fa- blew up three thousand years before that. For for a long time, it's called just the known world. At what point does the name Mastara really start getting thrown around? Okay, it was called the known world when they came out with Isle of Dread. That's where Mastara first appeared. And what happened was, is they were trying to get another setting, and somebody said, uh, you know, told um, was it Aaron Alston? It says, hey, what about this setting you put out in? Uh, uh, in Isle of Dread, and he goes, it's it's just fluff, it's background. He goes, we'll turn it into a setting. So it, they had to change it from the known world, which was known in all the modules before the Gazetteers, and then it started becoming Mastara as they started putting out the Gazetteers in uh, 87. Yeah, and, and we've reviewed a few of the Gazetteers, pretty early Gazetteers still, um, but they, they a lot of times they'll say the known world or the D&D world. Um, uh, but I've not seen them say Mastara yet. So, I mean, and, and maybe it's on the... Uh, packaging or or and not in the text um or maybe i just i've just missed it (laughs) the mistara world is not known for its continuity including its uh production it depended heavily on who was the one writing it we reached out uh to our listener base for any questions they may have about mistara and i wanted to read some of those questions uh for you to answer um and this first one is from keith parker he wrote if Mastara, and he says, I've never used it, has a type of mega underworld under dark, black reach, etc., I'd be interested in hearing about it. My, my understanding is it does not. Is that correct? Sort of. It has the, it, it was introduced heavily in the Orcs of Thar, which was the 10th, and the Shadow Elves, which is the 13th. Uh, it's not like the uh, Forgotten Realms under dark. Uh, it has several names because, again, continuity problems. But uh, the one I always stuck with was the world below, and it's extremely hostile. It is not just this giant cavern network that you can walk from one side to the other. It's not continuous. You can uh, walk into one cave, and it's poison gas. Everybody dies. Caves collapse. Uh, It has several spots that's kind of uh, magical or famous. You have the City of the Stars, which is the Shadow Elf City that they attached to the ceiling using anti-gravity magic. And then you have uh, Oinkmar, which is this orc uh, city which floats on lava because D&D orcs were pigmen Mm -hmm. back then. Uh, That used to be an elf city called Angmar. And then uh, the uh, immortal that was trying to corrupt the shadow elves uh, drove them off with poison gas because they weren't being corrupted fast enough. So, yeah, it has a, a vast... Uh, subterranean complex, but it's not stable, it's not safe, and very few things live there. If you wanted to look more into that, you would look at the Orcs of Thar, the Shadow Elves, or the Rockholm Gazetteers. They have the most information. Gene Warren wrote, 
what I would like to see is a few recommendations for players new to the setting. What are some good starting locations and the pertinent source books for campaigns? What are some of the common hurdles players using systems other than Beckme might face in converting, etc.? Oh, uh, the first thing you have to you realize is everything's based on a, a real-life nation, so you have to figure out uh, where they want to start. Or most people start in Karamikos because that's the starter. That was Gazetteer 1. Um, so if you were trying to convert it, the one thing a lot of people had a problem with when I converted this to 5th edition was not Mistara is kind of like the Australia of D&D settings. It was created separate from for, uh, Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms. So a lot of the races aren't there. There's no drow, uh, and they've got four different lizardmen races, so dragonborn are kind of redundant. Uh, especially with 5th mm-hmm. edition, with everything being thrown into the Forgotten Realms, uh, Mustara doesn't have all the races. Uh, the half elves are actually uh, in canon. Half elves are located to in one specific uh, spot far away from the known world because uh, Mustara doesn't have a lot of hybrids. If you if you're a hybrid uh, race, you were created by an immortal. Um, humans and elves, if they have offspring, it's either a human kid or an elf kid. There's not a half elf kid. In fact, the half-elves are their own race entirely. It's completely different. And trying to keep with the setting, it's very high magic. Uh, Fifth edition is a low magic setting. In Glantry, they've got a shopping mall full of magic items. Yeah. Uh, Good places to start. Derrickan City is centrally located and is generally friendly. Thyatis City is Rome, but you can find a lot of adventure going in and out. Uh, stay away from Glantry because, uh, again, they're um, xenophobic racists and uh, they hate clerics and dwarves and halflings and everyone who's not them. So what product would you suggest someone look into if they wanted to start running games in Mastara? Is there a specific product that they should uh, purchase first? That's the problem with Mastara is they released all of the source books and they never got a box set. They just said, hey, here's a comprehensive guide to this country, then a comprehensive guide to that country, then a comprehensive guide to that country. Uh, probably just start with Karamikos or read the back of each of the ga- read up on all the gazetteers to see which one would be the one that interests you the most because they're all different and there there's no uh, hub city like there is in other settings in Mastara. You know, if I recommend, um, you know, if, if everybody wants to be, you know, Vikings, you know, grab the northern reaches. But if nobody's interested in being a Mongolian, you don't need to pick up Ethengar. Okay. Uh, Gene Warren also wrote, uh, it's the only main D&D setting that was designed from the ground up with BX Beckme racist class in mind. Does this help or hinder it now with the broader uh, community since not all basic retro clones retain racist class? It depends. Uh, Like the halflings can be, you know, clerics. Well, they they, they say it was restricted by class. But Mastara really cheated towards the end because their skill system lets you cheat uh, demi-human thieves in. And then you had dwarven clerics. The elves got their tree keepers and they got clerical magic. The hen uh, got a, a clerical class. So it wasn't as bad as the uh, once the rule cyclopedia came out because you got ways to sneak in uh, alternate races 
But yeah, there's a little bit of tweaking. I, for example, if you want to keep the the elves being the uh, the one race that masters uh, magic at all things, you want to keep the 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 fighter wizard or the the thief wizard classes restricted to the elves mainly. Oh, and uh, because of their unique background, uh, it's not wise if you want to keep with the setting to let the dwarves have any sort of arcane magic, because. Um, uh, Mastara dwarves, at least the ones that are playable, are extremely resistant to magic because originally they were dying off from radiation mm-hmm. from the Great Reign of Fire when Blackmore exploded. So they reshaped the dwarves, made them incapable of using magic, but also made them highly resistant to magic. Scott Jones asks, what you think is the best way to deal with the fact that one of Mastara's best settings, Galantry, has banned three out of the seven base character classes? Yeah, like I said earlier, Galantry punishes uh, all clerics with death because they don't don't let the immortals uh, influence it. Uh, And they also dissect uh, halflings and dwarves for scientific reasons. Uh, That's what makes Galantry so great is because they're... You know, th- their politics are insane. Their f- internal policies are, you know, homicidal. And, you know, you, you don't want to... When they when they changed up... Uh, in, when they switched Glantry to second edition, they got rid of most of the restrictions. It lost a lot of the, I guess, the bad guy charm. I mean, it's not really a bad guy nation. It's just so dysfunctional that it comes across that way. If you want to be a cleric or a dwarf or a, a halfling and you want to go into Glantry... You can do that. You're just taking your life in your own hands. Okay, and uh, Leonard, uh, I'm going to say this name wrong, that's for sure. Leonard uh, Pimentel? Pimentel? Leonard Pimentel wrote, uh, If you were going to play in that world, what elements would you keep and what elements would you change, soften, or ignore? So this is an interesting question because, you know, I, I run my own campaign world, uh, which is very loose-knit, uh, you know, and kind of based off of what players I have in front of me at the time. Um, so uh, is there elements of Mastara that you don't like that you change in your home games, and uh, what are they? Wrath of the Immortals, easily. It's the, it's the base breaker. Back when TSR was in the habit of mm. nuking every single setting because they decided everything needed to have a change, uh, they came up with a supplement. They just released all of the gazetteers. They had just established the game world. And they came out with the... Uh, they advanced the game world 10 years forward with this module, or the box set, and then the module, the Immortal's Fury. They nuke. Uh, the Empire of Alphacia sinking under the ocean. They have the half elf or the shadow elves take over Alfheim uh, and completely become isolationists and never interact with anyone. And they take out half of uh, Glantry with a uh, meteor. And it really sucked a lot of the tension out because Mistara was this just massive cold war between two great empires and everybody else stuck in the middle. And when they advanced it forward, they took out everything that people liked about it. So most of the people that I play with go back to uh, the 1000 timeline rather than going to the 1010 timeline. As far as, um, you know, elements mm. uh, of what's in there, um, you know, you, I, I try to enter because the, the modules were released one after another and they didn't really cause a lot of continuity errors because they didn't reference each other very much because they didn't know what the next guy was going to write. Um, it's pretty much every mod, every gazetteer was written by somebody else. They didn't have a lot of people working on the same book, or have, they didn't have a lot of people working on more than one book. 
um, you know, introduce the fact that there's a lot of cross culture or cross border stuff going on. So it's not unusual for people to be playing, uh, you know, different races and different classes in another country. You know, that was the one problem Mistara had was it didn't uh, connect a lot of the world together. All right. Well, um, Ian McGarty, this is going to be our last uh, uh, question from the internet. Uh, but Ian McGarty wrote, uh, could you squeeze in some wonderful red still into the conversation? He wants to hear more about red still. And that's a honestly one of the, the products I remember the most just from seeing the advertisements of it. Like I remember that red sword and it said red still. I remember the ads for that uh, growing up. So I, I'm curious as well because apparently people remember it fondly. Red Steel was a region created by Indomastara during their dying days, and it was the second edition. It moved. Uh, it moved um, Mastara firmly into uh, second edition. It was off uh, to the side of the known world. There's actually four regions, and they were on the other side of the Serpent Peninsula, which is just an area with more countries. And what happened was, is there were three curses because people were being naughty all over the place, but the curses warped and uh, merged. And so what you had was this red dust that was everywhere and everybody that lived in the area with the red dust would uh, warp and mutate. Uh, Unless you had this special mineral that I think was made from something that produced the dust. And if you kept that on, you didn't mutate, but you got special powers. It was a very weird setting, mm. uh, but people loved it. A very Spanish, uh, Spanish and Portuguese feel, though they did have one nation that was obviously the Republic of Texas with the county of Cimarron. Uh, they added uh, a, the Racasta nation, uh, and they had a Lupin nation, and you had a, a Druid nation, and you had a nation of heroes. And you had to, you know, it was like high swashbuckling adventure for a lot of stuff because they had guns there. Um, but the big thing was is you had to always keep this Cinebril on you somewhere or else bat- really bad things would happen to your character. If you didn't have, it, if you didn't keep it on you, you would keep mutating until you died. Um, they really didn't go- do anything with it is the problem. They released the main book. They released the Savage Baronies. Um which was just a rehash of the main book, just focusing on the, uh, the, the Spanish and Portuguese areas. And then they killed the line. They had uh, two books that they had uh, in print that they finished, but they never published. So uh, they released them free online. I think you can get both of them at the vaults of Pandios, which was the uh, Orcs Head Peninsula. And then there was the uh, creature catalog or the, the monster manual for the red steel setting. But you know, I, I, when I was trying to convert it to fifth edition, that was going to be its own book, just because the amount of rules involved uh, with the mutations was pretty expansive. Well, Glid, that was uh, the last of our questions for you. Uh, would you uh, tell us about your projects and what you are doing with Mastara, and where people can reach you, and and what uh, work you're doing online, uh, both through your YouTube channel and through Drive Through uh, concerning Mastara? I do a Welcome to Mastara channel. It updates on uh, YouTube. And I'm just talking about the history of Mastara and the products and what's good, what's bad. Um, Actually, next week is my 100th episode. I'm going to be talking about why Mastara is the best setting and everybody else can, uh, you know, just cry. Um, 
then after I only got two products left that I haven't reviewed, and after that I'm freestyling it, talking about how to play in uh, Mastara and how to t- fix all the continuity problems and make it a better setting. <sighs> um, now what I've been doing, I've been doing this for three years because uh, I just want. I originally just started doing it for my own benefit, then people started suggesting things. And then artists started asking me if I could they could draw for me to get the uh, setting up for a modest fee, of course. Um, so I started converting the fifth Mastara into fifth edition, and I had to narrow it down to just um, the known world. There's three more regions of Mastara: the red, uh, the the red steel setting, or the Savage Coast, which. A lot of rules I didn't have to, that I didn't want to deal with, uh, at least in the initial book. Then you had the the uh, Serpent Peninsula, which was six more nations, which uh, they were kind of tied together, but they their tie to the, the known world wasn't uh, that strong, except for one of them. And then you had the Hollow World, which is its own setting itself, and that was a world inside of the uh, Mastara world, where they took all these ancient civilizations and preserved them and. Some people like it, other people have some problems, and it it does have some issues. So I started writing the book, wrote down all the history, tried to, you know, like I was saying I was doing earlier, trying to uh, merge the nations together so they actually interact. Um, I had to to write down the, uh, the races that just aren't there. And, you know, I started go, talking in depth about, you know, what roles all the, the, uh, the classes have with each other. And then I realized I can't take out races without putting races in. So I added the Dogmen, the Lupin, not Wolfmen, Dogmen, uh, because they're a, uh, they have a large presence in a lot of the Mastara products. The Rakasta, which date back to the Isle of Dread. Phanaton, again, Isle of Dread, plus, um, some of my uh, play testers thought the the idea of a flying squirrel monkey was just too cute not to play. I did the the tortles originally in Mastara before uh, Wizards came out with them, and there's a few differences, but uh, I like my version better, so I kept it in. Uh, and uh, then the the diff- most difficult one was I I liked the fairy race. I've always uh, had a thing for folklore, especially with the Welsh Arthurian folklore. And uh, I wanted to include the she, S-I-D-H-E. I have to ex- spell that out because people don't understand one. They think they wonder what woman I'm talking about. Who is she? Yeah. The she are the fae from Arthurian lore. And in Mastar, they included them in the, in the wonderful Tall Tales of the Wee Folk. And this is actually the only uh, race from the Crucibles that actually ever got mentioned again in any setting or, or any book from... Uh, uh, Mastara, because again, the writers never talk to each other. So we included the she, and they were an extremely powerful race with a crippling weakness to iron. So they made great wizards, but uh, terrible fighters. And then we converted over all the races, uh, the existing races that were there, because like there's five different versions of uh, elves, but there's only one type of dwarf, there's only one type of halfling. Uh, the gnomes actually tra- uh, translated over pretty much sky gnomes into serene. Ground gnomes are rock rock gnomes, so gnomes didn't have a problem there. So we actually ended up with one more race than we took out. Then we started going to the subclasses. There's 32 subclasses that I added. I didn't add anything for monks because for whatever reason, the monks in the player's handbook 
tied up rather nicely with the uh, monks uh, in uh, the Mastara setting. Um, I tried to include, I even tried to include the classes I'm not too fond of, like the uh, Warlock or the Barbarian. But uh, I tried to put each each nation has its own uh, class or a subclass that's that's tied to it. Some of the races or some of the nations share a subclass. Like you have the Merchant Prince, which is a wizard that works for the merchant guilds, and they have a lot of uh, spells and skills devoted to increasing wealth or inspecting things or telling if somebody's lying to you. You know, make stuff that makes you better in business. And that's something that's shared by the Minrathad guilds and Derekin. But you have the Order of the Griffin, which is a famous order in Karamikos. Uh, you've got Roman centurions. Some of the stuff I stole straight out of history, put it in the nation, like the Scottish Gallo Glass, uh, or the uh, Volva, the Wise Woman, which goes into the Northern Reaches. I converted all of the Glantry spell, well, all the spells that I could find, over though most of the spells were in Glantry, because when they rewrote the uh, Glantry book, Monty Cook, of all people, uh, did uh, the second edition Glantry book and took out all the politics, but added in a ton of magic. Um, then speaking of magic, we had... Um, I put in the uh, Secret Crafts of Glantry, which I had to put in as prestige classes, because they had prestige classes early in 5th edition. They didn't go over well. But the way the secret crafts are, which are in Glantry, they've discovered new magics that they're researching. And uh, that's something that I had a problem with translating over. Like the sorcerer classes, uh, well, Mistara doesn't have wild magic. It's got very stable magic. Uh, in fact, it's so stable that uh, it's like a science. So I had to drop the wild uh, mage, but I've got to put in uh, the Disciple of the Radiance. Glantry is over an artifact that's leaking magical radiation from Blackmore. Um, and that's one of their big secrets is radiance. And you, people who learn how to use the radiance uh, can just overcharge their spells and do horrible things with it. But there's a chance that they will wither up and turn into a lich. It's not exactly healthy to play with magical radiation. I tried to convert everything I could find from the known world and put it into this book. All the all the uh, alternate classes that were from Beckme are in the 5th edition book. All of the uh, alternate magics, all the spells, they're in this book. Um, I introduced all the heads of state, all the people that were wanted criminals. Um... And then uh, I stole uh, some pages, or I stole a, not a page, but I, I stole a, a hint from the Aurora's Whole Realm catalog book, and I included uh, shops, things that you could buy in Glant no. or in uh, Mastara, like foods, tools, things that you would find, you know, just as a regular occurrence. And I also converted over a lot of the common magic items to showcase that these are things you can actually buy. You know, there's there's... Fifth edition, for whatever reason, has this thing like you can't buy magic items. While uh, over in Belkades and Glantry, they've you know they've got crazy Carlos's used in uh, Gollum Emporium, um, and you know some of the things in Mistar hasn't aged well. They've they they had a few jokes for like the Arendi. They've got fa they got a Fantasy Island reference, which if you're younger than thirty, you've probably never heard of Fantasy Island. What I have to do now is I'm trying to get the attention. I'm trying to get this well known enough that um, you know people will talk about it and you know bring it to the eye of the powers that be over at Wizards because I know they're busy. 
Um, but they haven't written anything. There hasn't been a thing uh, written since 1995 for uh, Mastara. So... The odds of Mastara actually getting an official appearance are slim to none. But if I've got the book written, and uh, you know they're not going to do anything with it anyways, you know I, it's free money for them. You know the book is complete. I just tacked on the last page. The art is paid for. All the art is original. I when I was first started doing this, oh, wow. yeah. When I when I first started, I got a friendly reminder from somebody that was associated with Wizards. Um, nicely, you know, uh, but uh, firmly exp explaining what was going to be allowed and what wasn't because they thought I was going to um, just throw this out and, uh, you know, try to make money off of uh, the book, even though it was... Full and this was years ago, though. You know, this was me trying to put this together on uh, Windows or, uh, you know, uh, was it uh, uh, Microsoft Word, which was just for... A nice idea allows the execution. I, I got I got a some page layout software, and I've been working on that. Uh, and some of the art is fantastic. Uh, in fact, the uh, art for um, the Baron von Hendricks and Bargle, which are two of the big bad guys, that's kind of taken over what a lot of people show when they talk about those two. And I did want to have a lot of throwbacks. Um, one of my the first campaign I ever read, we had uh, a girl by the name of Heather who was trying her first D&D game, she didn't understand that um, you can make your own character. You don't have to pick one of the examples in the book. But she was dead set on playing Morgan Ironwolf. Right. Um, so her first character was Morgan Ironwolf, and we had a lot of fun. I said, you know what? Everybody loves the original Morgan Ironwolf with the huge hair. So I put her on the cover, and actually I put her two more times in the book. Uh <laughs> Because it's, it's something guys remember. Unfortunately, they, the official story is that uh, they wrote the, um, the, uh, the artist did a new version of Morgan because this is a new book and a new style. And, uh, you know, you, we want to show her in a new light, a modern light. The unofficial reason is none of my mm -hmm. artists, none of my artists could draw 80s hair. Right. <laughs> Um, so I've got a Twitter, it's Mastara9, and that's where I post up most of the things, and I talk about it, and I showcase the art. That's usually the best place to talk to me, though I'm new with this tweet thingy. Of course, you can always go to the Welcome to Mastara and contact me there. You know, I really don't have a, a, a one place where I keep all this. I talk mainly on the Facebook at the Mastara Reborn with all the guys there, and they're the ones that, you know, tell me what I did right, what I did wrong. Uh, one of them, Thorfinn Tate, uh, donated all the maps that's in the book. He he likes to take the maps and correct them. Uh, and we killing continuity errors is something Mastara fanatics love to do. Hmm. Though we all have our different ideas on what how to fix each continuity error. But if I can publish this, and like I said, if uh, the wizard says, hey, you know what, uh, this looks like a great book, you know, please, you know, show us what you got. And if anybody from Wizards is listening and wants to take a look at it first, be my guest. I will be more than happy to acquiesce. You know, I'd love to, you know, put the same amount of attention into the, the rest of the setting and further the uh, book line and expand on the fact that, you know, this... Some, some of the books didn't talk very much about what was actually in there. They would focus on one subject and then leave other uh, areas undefined. And, yeah, that was a large part of the, uh, the focus on the setting of the players are supposed to go into those areas and figure out what's there. And 
uh, ultimately set up a kingdom in those areas, I assume. It depends on the nation. Um, a lot of them, you will go carve out a thing, and then the leader of the nation will say, congratulations, you're now a knight or a baron. Here you go. If you go to the uh, nor actually the module Test of the Warlords, you were carving out your own little uh, pseudo kingdom as long as you paid the empress uh, of Ari uh, the empress Alf of Alphasia her money. She left you alone. Uh, if you go to um, the areas in the uh, Isle of Dread, that's the whole thing. Is uh, what do you want? How do you want to play this game? It, it, this setting had so many sandbox uh, modules. It it was kind of hard to ignore that they wanted you to you know make this world your own. It was. Okay. It was a lot different from the other settings where this one, it has some high-level NPCs, but you're not going to run into them unless you're actually hunting them out. You know, Elminster's not going to show up in this uh, setting and, you know, steal your thunder, or you're not going to be playing escort missions to Dritz or Alias or uh, Minsk. And Boo. Well, um, Gwen, I think that's going to do it for us for today. And thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about Mastara with us, and um, uh, we would welcome you back another time to talk more about Mastara once we get feedback on this episode, see if there's anything else people want to hear about, and anything else that we can learn about the setting. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say before we close up the show? Probably lots, but um, we can, you know, uh, one, my voice is going, and two, we, you know, we want, want to leave people on a cliffhanger. Well, thank you all for listening to Save or Die. I have been Carl, and uh, I am side-eyeing that new Ricosta Nermal. I don't like the look of that, that new Ricosta. I think they're going to cause some trouble. <laughs> and I'm Courtney. I'm a level 5 fighter, and I'm on a roll. I'm Glenn. Yes, I'm also that Mr. Welch. And uh, I think I'm going to make my next character a puka. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. Oh, anytime. Let me know if you uh, when you need me back. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Great. Why not head over to patreon.com slash WGP and support that show for as little as dollar a month. Dollar a month goes a long way to helping support the network Wild Games Productions. Again, that's patreon.com slash WGP. Thank you. Hilda and Leothward and Jan are passed out after a night of drinking in the common room of a tavern. Seated around them are three mercenaries waiting on them to awake. Leothward and Hilda wake up. Now I know I've won the drinking contest. Mm -hmm. Do I have a hangover? Um, you know, that's a good question. You can, you can be the decider of that. I, I, it, if you want your character to have a hangover, go for it. If not, fine. doesn't matter either way. You could argue no. that your elfiness keeps you from having a hangover. You could argue that your elfiness makes your hangover worse. I don't care either way. However you want your elfiness to be. I am going to not have a hangover. Hilda and Leothard wake up to the sight of three mercenaries seated around them, staring intently at the group of Hilda, Leothward, and Jan, who have been passed out on the floor. Jan is still passed out, but Leothward and Hilda, you see these three mercenaries. One of them is quite a bit older than the others, and uh, uh, the one of them 
does seem to have some sort of religious iconography on them, even though they still have the same um, symbols as the other mercenaries. Hmm. Like, uh, what? What can you describe the symbol? Um, it is. Uh, so, uh, 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 uh I. Uh, it's the immortal. Uh, from from Miss Mokstara, the Mokstara immortal that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows as um, uh, Ringo, Ringo the Immortal. <laughs> That's uh, as on brand as Raphael the Immortal. So, like, yeah, I believe it. Is there is there Raphael the Immortal? Is yeah, there's a, a Raphael a real the thing? Immortal. He, yeah, he's uh he's like the patron immortal of uh, I think the elves actually. Okay, well, this is Ringo the Immortal, um, and the symbol is a star. <laughs> And his disciples, John, Paul, and George. Yeah, there you go. All right, so uh, we're just on the the floor of the yeah, just room. in the common room. Yeah. Do we have like our gear on us, or is this like a have our weapons been peace bound? No, 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 What's no. no. There's no, there's no peace binding here. You're just, you're just fine. And these uh, gentlemen are armed as well. Oh, but there are their weapons aren't drawn, right? Nope. Their weapons are not drawn. They are sitting there peacefully. You wake up and see them. You can respond or you can wait for them to respond. Just let me know. Are they looking at us? Yes, quite intently. Uh, I will say, oh, good. Uh, I would like uh, eggs, sausages, and bacon. And your strongest tea. The uh, one who's a bit older smiles at you. And he says... We're not the servers, Master Elf. I feel oh. like I gotta give them each distinct voices or it's gonna be a cluster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah. You definitely you should make one of them have a Liverpoolian act. <laughs> well, if you're not the server, then who are you? I'm Yorn. No, that's not gonna work. I know that's not gonna work. I can't have Yorin and Yon. That's gonna be a terrible... Terrible audio. He's not Yorin. Um, he says. He says, "Oh, sorry, I have something in my throat." Uh, my actual name <laughs> uh, is. <laughs> I promise, I'm not going to do this with every person I name. <laughs> my name is Cooper. I'm the leader of the Red Shields, and you just drank my new recruit under the table. I hope stamina is not something that y'all look for in your recruits. <laughs> well, we we expect he's got quite a bit of stamina. He's drunk plenty of people uh, under the tables before. And uh, you drinking him under the table, that's pretty interesting. But the problem is uh, we need him awake. Uh, we are leaving soon and he is going with us. But, Why is that our concern? Well... Um, I imagine you want him awake as well. I assume he owes you money. Uh, he, he actually owes me a story. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the younger one's kind of laughing at this, and, and even the, the cleric who's been uh, very stoic cracks a smile. And uh, Jan kind of rolls over at this point. Hello? How are you? How are you, Cooper? And uh, Cooper just says, you owe them a story? And he goes, oh, yes, 
Master Elf, I owe you a story. Hmm. A story you've never heard. A story, ahem, excuse me, a story no one's ever heard? I was very specific about that. How is that even possible? <laughs> mm. <laughs> you would make it up? I, I am not a, a writer, but I can tell you a story. There is a uh, tower, and we are, and like Cooper kind of tenses up, and like, is he actually about to do this? Kind of, kind of looks at him, and and uh, uh, the other two kind of step forward, and uh, Jan keeps going and says, "We are going to adventure there, and uh, you could come with us." Hmm. Tell me more of this tower. Cooper says, "Wait, wait a second. Hold on, Jan. Do you know these people?" Yes, I know them very well. This is. Master Elf and Hilda the Great. Does this tower have treasure? Yes, we think it does. And then Cooper at this point is like, Yawn, shut up. Does this tower have magics? Oh, yes. yeah. That Master Elf, that's why you want to hear about it. It is a wizard's tower. And what would be the name of this wizard? Um, I believe his name uh, was, um, it was uh, Zine, Zenopis. <gasps> Wait, you don't mean... Xenopus, do you? You've heard of him? No, actually, I haven't. It was just a shot in the dark, really. You made it! <laughs> my friend, here's a linguist. I speak many languages. It's part of my class features. <laughs> I only speak in gold. <laughs> Cooper stares at the both of you intently. So what are we leaving? <laughs> Coop? What do you think, Brother Bowen? He says. And the cleric kind of strokes his beard and looks at you over and says, Well, their aid could be useful. An elf and a dwarf. We are going underground. They are going to be able to help us. I do have a number of skills that could help us in a dungeon. Like, <clears throat> and I pull out my lyre and strum it. <laughs> Cooper smiles at this idea of you uh, playing music. And he was like, I don't know, um, Master Elf, that playing music in the dungeon will help us, but we'll welcome it at the campground. If you want to come with us, you can. All right, and then I grab my giant sword. <laughs> Secondary to the liar, I also <laughs> kill things. <laughs> All right, he says, look, we got to go talk to the wizard first. Can you come with us? Sure. Let's pay a visit to old Xenopus. No, Xenopus is dead. Oh, my condolences. I didn't know him. Oh. Well. Then let's go see this other wizard. <laughs> so they um, stand up and let you get your bearings, and uh, uh, they hand you some like hard tack for breakfast. It's not uh, very good, but it is edible. And they escort you within the town of Manubria to a fairly out-of-place building. There is a tower located in this town. Uh, what you would uh, imagine uh, a wizard's tower to look like, but it is in the middle of the town. On the way there, Cooper's explaining, and he says, Master Finian is who gave us the information to locate the dungeon beneath Xenopus's destroyed tower. 
and the tower we're going to in the middle of town is Xenopus's tower? No. Um, Finian is a wizard, and Finian mm. lives in this town. And Finian gave us the information to get us under the tower of Xenopus, who is also a wizard, but from long ago. Mm. Does Finian have any healing potions I can carry with me? Um, if he wants to help aid me on my travels? I don't know that Finian has that kind of magic, but Brother Bowen does. Oh, Brother Bowen. At this point, the younger guy goes, Hey guys, I'm Eric. Oh, that's nice, Eric. Sure. And then I ignore Eric for the rest <laughs> of the journey. I've never met an elf before. Uh-huh, yeah. No, we're around, you know. You see us every once in a while. I've never seen one. Well, isn't it your lucky day? I think so. You should well, look in more trees. I've read good, books. Good for you. So anyways, Cooper. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so uh, wh- what can you tell me about this Finian? Well, he's a magic user and he's paying us gold. Hmm. That is the extent of my knowledge, but all I need to know at the moment. Well, you're just a regular regular fraternity of brothers, the three of you. You're just like a like some frat bros. <laughs> Eric Bowen and Cooper. <laughs> Big Coop as we like to call you. <laughs> so Bowen, Cooper, Eric, and Jan travel with you to meet Finian. And uh, Finian is inside his tower. Uh, he comes and opens the door himself. He is an aged man. Uh, he looks older than uh, any man you've ever seen. He looks he looks old plus old times old. He's very old. Uh, and he says, Hello? Who is with yes, you? Yes, young man. I hear that you have hired us to delve the Tower of Xenopus. More men. Uh, Cooper says, not more men. An elf and a dwarf. Excuse me, Cooper. You're being very humanocentric. Do you prefer to be called a man? I am a man. (laughs) (laughs) I put my pantaloons on one leg at a time. All right. Yes, more men. And Hilda, in combat, is twice the man any of you would ever be. I'm glad to hear that. Well, now that we've gotten this all sorted out... (laughs) (laughs) What's our reward when we come back? Oh, no, no, not when you come back. You must bring me the Book of Xenopus. Then I'll reward you. But if you don't bring me the Book of Xenopus, your only reward will be what you find in his dungeons. Uh, Cooper says, yes. Uh, Finian wants the Book of Xenopus. I don't have any use for it. Neither does Eric, Jan, or Bowen. Uh, so we agreed to that. We're going to return the Book of Xenopus to him. He's given us the location of the dungeon. And we will uh, keep any treasure that's in the Dungeon of Xenopus as well. Well, that sounds fine to me. You only want this one book. Finian eyes you suspiciously, Leothward, and says, What about you, Master Elf? You may want the book. Would you take it from me? I mean, like, if you want to read this old man's diary, sure, but like... Don't play coy with me. Don't play coy with me. You have magic. I know you have magic. Yes, I have magic. Wait, why didn't you list that before liar? (laughs) Uh, Excuse me, there are far more subtler crafts than magic in the world. Will you take this book from me? Probably not. Look, Finian, 
He's got like a thousand more years to go, and you got like ten. I think we'll be fine. I can wait. <laughs> I mean, I'm not taking the book from you. No, I know that, dwarf. Uh, her name's Hilda. Hilda the Great, says Jan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, thought, I thought it was the old man. It's like, there's no way he's heard of her over me. <laughs> Finian says, so are you ready to depart now? And Cooper says, yes, I think we'll go now. Um, we'll need that map. And Finian gives you guys a map, and you find yourself in front of a ruined tower with a doorway in the floor leading down. And that's where we'll stop. So join us next time as Leothward and Hilda the Great and this band of mercenaries that they have uh, found themselves involved in plunder the depths of the dungeons of the Tower of Xenopus. The Savor Die Podcast is a production of Wild Games Production and it's produced for entertainment purposes only. The music used in the intro and outro is by Tripod and used with permission. Be sure to visit the Saber Die crew at saberdie.info for more information. If you'd like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com slash WGP.